0: So glad you're taking time out of your schedule to join us on this day. Uh, I just want to take a, a few minutes just to say thanks again for so many people that are doing what God has called us to do, which is to reach out to represent him in our everyday lives. But I just want to take a few minutes to be honest with you. This has been probably the hardest season that I can remember as a pastor and as a leader. I know that I'm not alone in all of this. In fact, all of us are affected in one way, shape, or form. From COVID-19 and the effects on health, the economy, on schools, on families. This past week, the images of George Floyd that I can't unsee. From racism and social injustice to protests and some leading to looting and rioting. From our police who are put in impossible situations To the emotional hit that all of us are facing as we deal with conversation with our friends, our family members, and our kids. But I wanna tell you that I have hope. I have a resolve, and I have a passion for what God is gonna bring about in these times and through these times, through us, His people. Now is the time, now is the moment for the people of God, the church that has been waiting to rise up and to shine the light that is Jesus Christ. Jesus is the reason. Jesus is the purpose. Jesus is the answer. But I hear from so many, how? How do we live the way Jesus has called us to live in such a time as this? And I believe that it honestly starts individually with this question. What do you... Or what would others say that you live for? What do you, or what would others say that you live for? In other words, for you, what makes life worth living? I asked this on social media, and got a number of different responses, some of them humorous, you know, whether it be like fish tacos or golf. But the number one answer was was family. Family. Family was what makes life. Relationships is what makes life worth living. But I began to wonder, as, as I would say family as well, to a certain extent, if that is really true. What I mean by that is, how do I identify what I live for? And here are three ways that you know how. What are things that I think about and talk about, especially with great passion? Are you able to identify that? See, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth actually then speaks. What do I, or what do you, spend our discretionary time on? Or who do we spend it with? All of us have obligations of things we have to do, but what about the things that you get to do? And then lastly, what are things that I spend discretionary money on? Now, none of those things in and of themselves are wrong. Like, for example, you know about me, that, that, that I love, you know, a sports. Uh, I love, you know, going to the movies. I, I love having experiences. I love going out to eat. There's a lot of things that I love to do, and I put some of those things under the categories in which that I have just identified or walked through. But I have to ask myself, What gets me up in the morning? What is my purpose for living? Because I believe that answer will help us to navigate how Jesus wants us to live in and through the season. See, we started two weeks ago, a series called Unchained, Freedom Through Purpose, Perspective, and Joy. We're looking at the New Testament's book Of Philippians. Paul, who's the writer, is writing from house arrest in Rome to this church far away from where he physically is in order to give them perspective, hope, and even a challenge. In fact, this week's passage comes from Philippians chapter 1, and we're going to look at verses 20 through 26. And so let's just read this together. For I fully expect, Paul says, and hope that I will never be ashamed, but that I'll continue to be bold for Christ as I've been in the past. And I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ, whether I live or whether I die. For to me, living means living for Christ, and dying is even better. But if I live, I can do more fruitful work for Christ. So I really don't know which is better. I'm torn between two desires. You see, I long to go and be with Christ, which would be far better for me. But for your sakes, it is better that I continue to live. So knowing this, I'm convinced that I will remain alive so I can continue to help all of you grow and experience the joy of your faith. And when I come to you again, you will have even more reason to take pride in Christ Jesus because of what he is doing through me. See, today's passage, we probably get the most famous of all that Paul wrote, the most famous saying. For me to sum it up, it's just simply this, to live as Christ, to die is gain. To live as Christ, to die, is gain. I want you to say that with me. Wherever you're at, to live as Christ, to die, is gain. One more time. To live as Christ, to die, is gain. That's the answer. In these difficult times that we find ourselves in, to live as Christ And what helps us through these struggles and these circumstances is knowing that no matter how bad things get, there's always going to be a better tomorrow. For death ushers us in to heaven, to a place that's referred in the Bible as paradise. So for our remaining time, what does this look like? How do we live for Christ? How do we do that? Philippians 1.20, Paul tells us, and we just read it, It says, for I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed, but I'll continue to be bold for Christ as I have been in the past. So the first thing that Paul tells us, how do we live for Christ? We need to be bold for Jesus. To be bold means not to be afraid, regardless of how people may treat you, to identify yourself as a follower of Jesus. To be bold means to reach out and to share the message of Jesus in love and respect through our actions, and through our words. To be bold means to stand up for the things of Jesus, to stand up for those who cannot stand for themselves. Philippians 1.20 says this, and I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ, whether I live or whether I die. See, we're called to live for Christ, to be bold for him, but secondly, Paul says to bring honor to him is just as important. See, honor that is given to us should be honor deflected onto Jesus. You and I can always say when someone compliments us for something that we have done, we can always say thank you. But internally, do we think that that's from ourselves? Or can we give honor to whom honor is due? See, this is Jesus' church. You and I are Jesus' people. In verse 22, he says again, but if I live... I can do more fruitful work for Christ. So I really don't know which is better. But for your sakes, it is better that I continue to live. So we're to be bold for Christ. We're to give honor, to his name. And then we're to do fruitful work for Jesus, regardless of our vocation. You don't have to be a pastor to live for Christ. And so many of you who call yourselves followers of Jesus are doing exactly that. I want you to know that even in isolation and separation, that you are not alone. Every other week, even through some of this COVID-19 and isolation, I've got a chance to meet with a men's group. Many of these men, you know, are leaders in our community and business and in politics and some of the other places that you would find them. And I've seen them do their best to struggle back and forth. How do I live boldly for Christ? How do I honor him? How do I make sure that he is known through my words and through my action? And so I just want to publicly say thank you, Bob McLean. And Tony Williams and Kurt Brandt, Mike Monroe, Spencer Williams, and so many more that I don't even have time to mention. So encouraged by these guys who are trying to live the best they can to represent Jesus, to live now in this difficult season, to live for him. So I want you to self reflect. Just take a second. Is my life's primary purpose to live for Jesus? And again, Paul through his words as well as through actions, even though he was a tent maker, meaning he had a side gig as well as a pastoral gig, all at the same time, he wanted to live for Jesus, and what helped him to live for Jesus in the moment was to know that this was not going to be the end." He says, "To die is gain." Philippians: 121 once again says, "For to me, living means living for Christ and dying is even better." I'm torn between two desires. I long to go and be with Christ, which again would be far better for me. Think about this from Paul's standpoint. He's been persecuted verbally, stoned, beaten, thrown into prison, shipwrecked, all for the sake of living for Christ. He longs now to be with Jesus. He knows what awaits. He knows that this life is just a mist. And he's like, here's what's to come, and I so long to be there. This world is tiring, it's exhausting, it's stressful. But he chooses to still recognize the moment that God has in him. For those of you who have not been a part of Valley Real Life long, you can go to our website, because we did a few-week series on what is heaven, what awaits us. Because if, if we understand where it is that we're going, it helps us to maintain perspective and focus with where we are today. And you can find that on our site. One thing I want to remind you and point out that we did learn from that series is in the very end, in Revelations 21, three through four, this is an encouragement for us. It says, I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them no longer separated physically, but connected. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All of these things are gone forever. No more injustice, no more racism, no more COVID-19, no more stress and pain of any kind. Can we praise God for that? To live as Christ, to die it's gain. Say it out loud. To live as Christ, to die is gain. One more time. To live as Christ, to die is gain. So I want you to rest and process this final point. We live in the tension between the now and the not yet. That's where we find ourselves. We live in the now, but yet not yet. We're here, there's something coming, and here is the tension that we live in. In verse 25, Paul says, knowing this, that we live in the now but not yet, I am convinced that I will remain alive so that I can continue to help all of you grow and experience the joy of your faith. This applies to COVID-19. How do we do this? How do we experience the joy that can come from growth? I can tell you specifically, it comes this way. Some of you guys, you know, are aware, if you've been to physical therapy or if you've been to workout facilities, you'll see in some corner near the weights or the apparatuses that are located in the gym, there's usually a whole lot of these kinds of colors. And they're tied, you know, together. Well, what's their purpose? Their purpose is to provide Tension. Right? The purpose is that you would grab you know, one side and that you would, you, would, you would have this tension that would begin and you have this tension. Why? Why would you do this over and over and over again? Because the growth of your muscles only takes place in tension. Otherwise, it atrophies and it dies if you do not use your, your muscles. And so we live in this tension of this back and forth, one side and the other. And there's an opportunity that all of us feel at some point to be like, I'm done, I'm out, I don't wanna deal with it, I wanna escape. And Jesus and Paul, through Paul, is saying these words, we grow when we are in this season. We don't grow in this season. We only grow when we actually live in the tension of our faith do we see us go to another level with him. So how do we respond specifically and practically, especially with what's taken place in the last couple weeks in our city, state, nation, and our world? First thing I wanna encourage you is that we need to pray regularly. That's living in the tension, to pray for God's will, to pray for other people, to pray that you would be a light and be an example. Secondly, we need to stop and listen. James 1.19 is one of my, Favorite verses when it comes to not knowing how to respond and feeling the stress and tension. It says, understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. Here it is. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. See, human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. And so seek to understand before trying to be understood You need to understand, I have sat down with the superintendent of the CV Unified School District to listen about Senate Bill 5395. Listened. I have sat down with our local mayor and deputy mayor to listen. I have called my African-American pastor friends and connected with a few in our church just trying to understand why. Because like many of you who are watching, you and I have no idea what it's like to be African-American in our country. We don't. I've never had some of the things that I've processed and walked through be a reality in my own life. And here's what I can tell you has been consistent in just listening is our African-American brothers or sisters are scared. There is fear that is taking place in their heart. And as a response to that, we have an opportunity to come alongside. You and I, most of us, also don't understand what it's like to be a police officer or to be a police officer's family. I'm listening, spending time calling and reaching out, connecting, and trying to understand. See, James tells us, be quick to listen. Slow to post on social media. Slow to be angry. See, after we have prayed and after we have truly listened to gain understanding, to gain empathy, to gain compassion, we need to reach out and love our neighbors. You see, there's a guy who came to Jesus, and he asked him, and he had this question, who is my neighbor? He wanted to justify himself before God and before others because he thought he was living the right life, the God-honoring life. And so Jesus intentionally told him this story, and you can find it in Luke chapter 10. That there's a man that was traveling, a Jewish man, from Jericho to Jerusalem. But while he was on his way, he was beaten up, robbed, and left for dead. He's literally dying on the side of the road. And who's to come by? Priest, pastor, who sees this person. It's not that he didn't know, he sees this person who is in need and he decides not to stop and help him because he has other things that he believes is more important. Then a Levite, another committed person to God, sees but then goes to the other side of the road. And I wonder what would cause someone to go to the other side of the road. I don't wanna be involved. I don't wanna live in the tension. I've got things on my own plate that I need to deal with. I don't need to help my fellow man. And yet of all people to stop, a Samaritan, a Half-breed, according to Jewish people. It is not by accident that Jesus brings a racial reference to illustrate, and who is my neighbor? Here is this man that is bleeding on the side of the road, and it was not the religious. It was the person of the opposite race who came over, bandaged wound, took him to the inn, provided resources and said that he would come in and check on him later as well. And Jesus asked, who is the person who best represents loving a neighbor? Obviously, it was the Samaritan. You see, that story hit me this week like it's never hit me before. How many people do I know who are hurting right now? Oh, we may not see physical blood in our lifetime. We might see it on video. We might see it expressed in what we saw with Floyd. But you and I will not maybe see it face to face. But here's what I can tell you in my listening and in my praying for people is there is a lot of bleeding people internally right now. There's a lot of hurting people who are needing somebody, somewhere to come in and to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. What an opportunity that we as the church have in this season. We need to reach out and to love our African-American brothers and sisters who are our neighbors and they're hurting. One of my, my favorite examples this last week is during the peaceful part of the protest this last Sunday in Spokane, we had a guy that came down to the, to the protest. And you know what he did? He just walked around and prayed for people. He handed out Bibles. He just wanted to tell people that he loved them. What a great tangible example of loving our neighbor. We need to reach out and love our law enforcement neighbors who are hurting as well as their families. They have a perspective. They're in a no-win situation and there's pain that's going on in their lives. We need to reach out to our local politicians and our schools and our local school boards and systems because they are hurting trying to figure out what in the world are we supposed to do during the season. We need to reach out to our businessmen and women you know, whose places have been vandalized. They're hurting and we have an opportunity to come alongside and to love our bleeding neighbors who are on the side of the road And yet they're not on the side of the road. They're right in front of us. See, not only do we need to pray regularly, we need to stop and listen. We need to reach out and love our neighbors, but we also need to model and invite people to Christ-centered community. I need you, and you need me, and we need each other to help navigate these waters with Jesus at the center. Jesus said that we would be known based on our love For one another, not our rhetoric, but our tangible expression of love. This is the church's opportunity to lead. It starts with us individually, then it starts with us as a church. And then it continues as a community, and then it continues to perpetuate itself as the kingdom of God. We always want to be known more for what we are for than what we are against. We want to stand in the gap. We have an opportunity to build bridges, especially during this time through COVID 19, through the racial and social issues that we're facing today. We have a chance to live for Christ. And when we do, when we stay in that tension, you and I. Grow in our faith. To live as Christ. To die is gain. One other thing I want to mention about what heaven's going to be like, just as a reminder to all of us, especially those of us in the inland Northwest and northern Idaho. In Revelation 7 9, it says this After this, I saw a vast crowd too great to count from every nation. And tribe and people and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes and held palm branches in their hand. People who were black, white, Hispanic, Asian, men, women, rich, poor. We will all gather one day united with Jesus at the center We are to reflect the kingdom of God and it starts now in our churches, in our lives to say we invite you to Christ-centered community not by the color of your skin, by who God created you to be in the context of community with one another. We are all brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. That's our hope and that's our foundation. So how will you choose to stay in the tension so that you can grow in your faith. To live as Christ, to die is gain. To live is Christ, to die is gain. Father, thank you so much for today. Thank you for the opportunity that we have just to be able to live in this season and in this moment and the opportunities that are afforded to us right now Father, I pray that right now you would bring to mind a neighbor. You would bring someone that we know who may be African-American, who may be going through COVID-19 and the fears, who may be a part of our law enforcement, somebody that we can reach out to. Father, allow us to live for Christ in this moment. Jesus, convict convict our hearts and help us to reflect you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.